Well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. My name is Will Vakurvich, one of the pastors here. And as you just heard, we will be uh, unpacking the part of the story where God's people start rebuilding the wall. So, oh, you know, mean to puff myself up too much, but it's fitting that of all your pastors, I would be the one to talk about building the, see, people are laughing already. They know me. No, really, really. I I did a pretty incredible DIY home repair project yesterday. Uh, If I do say so myself, I was able to change not one, not two, but three exterior light bulbs. Thank you. Thank you. I know what you're thinking. Three light bulbs, that means like one burnt out and you let it go, and then a second, and then a third. What's up with that? You've probably been talking to my wife. She had the same questions. Uh, But here's the reality, guys. I'm not handy. I cannot build much of anything. But my dad is an incredible craftsman. My dad has been in construction. Uh, from, he had, the way he tells it, when he was in junior high, he knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to work with his hands. He wanted to build things. And so while he was in high school, he worked as a laborer. After high school, he worked in a furniture uh, construction. He built furniture, whatever that place is called. He worked there. Uh, and then he got into the trades and he started doing home remodels, uh, building homes, that whole deal. When, when I was in elementary school, he started working for our school district he, in the maintenance department. And because of his depth of expertise and work ethic, he worked himself up to be the director of maintenance and operation for the school district in my hometown. I'm proud of my dad. He can build almost anything. I can't. <laughs> uh, when it comes to building, I'm all thumbs. Uh, my wife knows she learned early in our, in our marriage. If there's like a, a around the house project that needs to be done, she'd give me the bottle of ibuprofen. She'd slip me a nice, delicious beverage and she would take the kids and leave and let me try to figure it out. Uh, that's not my gifting. It's not my gifting. I struggle. I can't really build much of anything. But man, I'll tell you, my dad, I remember when, when I was in high school, he, he got this old Jeep that he was gonna start restoring and he wanted a, a spare tire rack. So he's like looking in the off-road magazines and he's like, I don't like any of these. I'll just build one. And I'm like, wait, you can't do that. He's like, why not? I'm like, you can just like build a tire rack for your Jeep. He's like, yeah, you just weld it up. Like, no big deal, right? It's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me, the stuff that I see my dad make, and I'm like, I don't even know how you would start to build that thing, but he, he does it. What we're gonna see today is a construction project that only God could pull off. As talented as my dad is, I, I talked to him about this wall. He's like, yeah, I, I have no idea how they did it. They had no power tools. They, they had no calculators. They had a ragtag bunch of people thrown together, but God showed up. So when we think about rebuilding, Nehemiah is gonna give us three things that help us to become faithful rebuilders. That's what we're gonna see today. We're gonna see we should look up, we're gonna ask what's up, and then we're gonna rise up. So if you guys would join me in Nehemiah chapter two, we'll be looking at chapters two and three today. We're gonna start off in verse one. Nehemiah chapter two, verse one. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, 
I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves that I may be rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me so that the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. First thing we're going to see, we see Nehemiah look up. He looks up. We see this in a couple ways. One, he looks up to God in prayer. If you guys uh, remember from last week, Josh unpacked chapter one and he uh, unpacked this beautiful prayer that Nehemiah prayed. He heard about the brokenness of God's people. He heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, how the temple was torn down and they were rebuilding it, how the walls of the city were torn down and he was grieved. And his response was prayer, was lament, was repentance and was fasting. We see now, four months later, he is still deeply grieved. Now church, I have to be honest with you. There are things that grieve my soul. I can't say that there's been too much in my life where I saw like, oh man, this thing happened. You know what I should do? Pray and fast before, for four months before I open my mouth. Maybe you're better than me. Maybe you got that one dialed in. But for me, that's a struggle. I see the issues, I'm grieved by them and I wanna react. I wanna think about what can we coordinate? Who can we gather together? What resources do we have? How can we tackle this head on? But the first thing we see Nehemiah do is he prays and fasts for four months. And then he's, he's before the king, right? Nehemiah is the royal cupbearer. His job was to serve the king wine. Now that sounds like a pretty easy job. But what was at stake here is kings knew that there were always plots against them, always someone trying to take their throne. And so sometimes the king would have the cupbearer taste the wine just to make sure no one slipped poison into the royal cup. This was a vital role. Nehemiah had to be one of the most trusted advisors who was also always watched. So it would make sense that the king would notice a change, a difference in Nehemiah's behavior, right? The king's life is literally at stake here. Nehemiah, why are you sad? Helps us understand why his response was to feel afraid. The king would probably be on edge when he saw a change in Nehemiah's demeanor. And so Nehemiah, seeing this opportunity, he's looked up in prayer to God for four months before he opens his mouth. It says he prays again. He looks up to God in prayer. 
And then he looks up to the king. The opportunity that God has put before him, he has the king's ear. Nehemiah, what's wrong? King, let me tell you what's wrong. Where my fathers have been buried lies in ruins. Why shouldn't I be afraid? See, I love the way Nehemiah embodies not just prayer or action, but prayer and action. He's not only looking up to God in prayer, he's also looking up to the opportunities that the Lord has placed before him. Nehemiah is not like these two guys I know. Let me describe these guys. I think you may know them also, right? The first guy I knew really well in like high school and college, we'll call him the praise the Lord guy. You guys know the praise the Lord guy? Hey man, how's it going? Praise the Lord. Really? Oh, having a good day. Praise the Lord. I just lost my job. Praise the Lord. I'm really sick. Praise the Lord. Dude, I don't think that means what you think it means. You know the like praise the Lord all the time to the point where you're like, I don't think you're actually praising the Lord, right? Sometimes this is also known as the thoughts and prayers guy, right? Like something, oh yeah, I'll pray for you and on your way. Like, are you ever actually praying? Are you ever actually praising the Lord? It's interesting how sometimes our spiritual acts can really be a cover-up to justify our lack of action, our lack of obedience. You guys know the praise the Lord guy, uh, but there's another guy. There's another guy, and I know this guy. He, he's, he's in Phoenix. He's not at this church, but I know this guy. This is the uh, frozen activist. You guys know the frozen activist? The one who feels every headline so deeply and has that rage against the injustice and we gotta do something and we gotta stomp out these oppressive narratives that have been ostracizing and marginalizing. And, but what if we say the wrong thing? What if we do the wrong thing? What if it's just another opportunity to perpetuate the narrative and blah, 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 blah. And they're so angry and angsty that it never actually amounts to anything. They'll post the articles. You know the frozen activist. His thumbs work. He's posting the articles, the hashtags, the blogs. Have you seen this? Can you believe it? I can't believe it. But what have you done about it? Frozen, paralyzed, immobile. It's the same thing. The praise the Lord guy and the frozen activist guy are the same guy. That's not what we see in Nehemiah. Nehemiah looks up. Nehemiah actually prays. Nehemiah actually does something. He speaks to the king about the state of God's people, the one who has the authority to commission him to go. He's getting his ducks in a row. He's praying, he's relying on the spirit and he is responding with obedience. It's not prayer or action. It's prayer and action. Nehemiah looks up to God and he looks up to the opportunities that are placed in front of him. I wonder, what's in front of you? What has God put on your heart? What's that conversation you know you need to have? Right, maybe it's the deal, right? You know this deal where like you're intentional and you get to know your neighbor and now you know your neighbor and you have like the small talk and you know that like you did that on purpose so you could tell them about Jesus, but like, what if they think you're a weirdo? What if they think it was all like one of those tricks, right? Like that, the Christian trick of like, hey, here's this thing, but whoop, there's Jesus, right? What if they think that? What if God's just calling you to tell them about Jesus? What if God's just saying, hey, invite them to church? What could it hurt? 
I wonder what if it's that friend, that friend that you know and you love and you care for, but you see that thing that it just seems like they can't see. You see that area of hard-heartedness and you know you should say something the spirit in your guts, right? Like you feel it, but like, oh, what if it offends them? What if they think you're like judgy and like a Pharisee and you know, you have your own sin. Maybe they'll think you're a hypocrite or what if that's the opportunity in front of you? What is that thing? As you have been praying about what God puts on your heart, what is that thing he could be calling you to? What is that opportunity as you look up? Yes, look up, but also look up for the opportunities. What is that open door? Who knows, in a room this size, God may be calling someone to go overseas to tell people you've never even met about Jesus. We don't know. What is the thing? As you look up, yes, look up to God. Look for those opportunities. What are the open doors? What are the open doors? We see Nehemiah, he looks up, he sees the open doors and watch what God does here, right? Think about this story. God's people were carried away into captivity. Now, Nehemiah has been given the king's blessing for safe passage. The empire tore down the walls of Jerusalem. Now, the Persian king grants timber to rebuild them. The armies of God's people stood against the Babylonians, and now the sadness, the prayers, and the boldness of one of God's people was able to flip the king's agenda on its head. You see what God can do through prayer and action? This is incredible. Nehemiah looks up to God. He looks up to the opportunity in front of him and he responds with faithfulness and obedience. And we're invited to do the same. Let's keep going in the story. We're gonna skip a little bit because we're covering two chapters. So we're gonna pick up, Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. We're gonna pick up in verse 11, chapter two, verse 11 says this. So I went to Jerusalem. And was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring into the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Not only does Nehemiah look up, Nehemiah asks, what's up? What's up? He heard from far away about what was going on with God's people. He got the message, he prayed took his opportunity, king sent him to Jerusalem. Then he went to investigate for himself. He asked, what's up? 
what's actually going on. He investigates the wall. He sees the gates for himself. He moves from this place of distant disgust to pained proximity. He moves towards the issue to make it his own. If I'm honest, church, I think a lot of times I I read the headlines, I hear the, the national outrage, I think of the global issues, oh, and I pray real quick, and I feel angsty, and I tell someone else about it so they think that I really know what's going on. But a lot of times it doesn't affect me. A lot of times I don't take the time to move close, to ask, how does this issue play itself out in Tempe, in my neighborhood, amongst the people that I know? And I don't think I'm the only one who struggles with this. But it's silly, right? To approach issues this way is silly. We wouldn't expect this in any other field. Like, think with with me here. Say you go to the doctor. Before you can speak, the doctor says, hey, you know what? Nationally speaking, number one source of death is heart disease. That's what we'll be treating you for today. Like my ankle hurts. There's an issue. There's a sickness. There's some brokenness. But like, doctor, like hear me. Yes, nationally, heart disease matters. That matters. That matters to God, right? God created us for life, not for death. But we need to understand where we are. What are the issues here? You wouldn't go to a restaurant and have the server come up and like, well, most people order the cheeseburger, so that's what you'll be eating. Like, whoa, 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 I could be a vegetarian. You don't know this. Like, maybe I feel like pasta today. It would be absurd. It would be absurd to go to a tattoo studio. Well, hello there, young lady. Most young ladies get a butterfly on their ankle, so apparently that's what you're signing up for, right? Like, we would never do this in other fields. But for some reason, we read the national headlines, we get outraged, and we don't even know one person that's affected by this. And we call ourselves self-righteous. A lot of times we hear about the stories. We don't take the time to ask, where does God have me now? How does this apply here? What can I do here? What is in front of me? What's up? We care about homelessness. That's great. What can we do to advocate in the city of Tempe, in Maricopa County? Do we know anything about homelessness here? We care about racial justice. That's great. Is anyone who sits in your living room, do they look different than you? We care about sanctity of life. Thank God. What are you doing here and now in the context that God has you to press into this issue? There are so many issues that matter deeply. Be moved, but more than being moved, be stirred to action as well. How does it apply here in our context? What does it look like in your neighborhood? What does it look like at your job where you work with your coworkers? Turns out we can't do that much to abstractly affect the nation. Yes, we can pray, but God gives us abilities and opportunities here where you are. What are those things the Spirit is bringing to mind right now? What are those burns that you have? That's from the Lord. How could he be inviting you to creatively imagine how you can display the goodness of who he is in regards to that issue here where you are? That's why we created these prayer and action groups, right? We we hear you guys, we're so thankful for the things that you're passionate about. And so we're saying, let's do it. We're all in, let's commit for a year. Let's pray together about this. 
Let's investigate how the Spirit is inviting you to respond right here. That's what's up. So Nehemiah looks up, he asks, what's up? And then we're gonna see God's people rise up in chapter three. This is one of the most exciting chapters in all of scripture. You don't believe me? I'm gonna read you a snippet. I won't read you the whole chapter because you'd be so excited. You'd probably just leave, it's so exciting. You ready? You think I'm joking? This is exciting. You think I'm joking? Above the horse gate, the priests repaired. I'm in three, starting in verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Imer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zaleph, repaired another section. After him, Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchajai, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. I told you. Yes. It's exciting. Okay. When I first read it, when Josh was like, hey, two, can you do two and three? I'm like, oh, two. Yeah. Okay. Lots going on. Yeah. God's doing stuff. And then I got to three and I'm like, oh. It's that moment as a preacher where you're like, what? A, it's a chapter of names that I cannot pronounce, repairing parts of a wall I've never seen. What is that? What do you do with that? And so uh, I just prayed because I didn't know what else to do. And this is the image that came to mind. I want you guys to imagine with me, right? So we know from Ezra and Nehemiah that there are elders amongst God's people who can remember what the old temple was like. And when Ezra rebuilds the temple, they weep because it's, it's just a shadow of what it once was. It's good that they have the temple, but it's not what it once was. They remember what the temple was like. So there's implications to that. They remember what the temple was like, then they remember that day, the first day when they could look on the horizon and see the armies advancing against them. They could remember as they got closer. They could remember the tense tones of their parents speaking about what was going to happen. They could remember the first stone that fell as the wall started to crumble. They could remember that feeling of the siege, the hunger, the starvation, the horrors of war. They could remember the temple being destroyed, the wall being leveled, the city burning. They knew the stories. They knew that these were God's people, the people chosen for the sake of the world. The people blessed to be a blessing. And if they are destroyed, then what does that mean for God's story? It feels like evil has won. They remember those days. And then there's this day. This day when the families start to line up. Church, do not think a list of unpronounceable names. Think of one of my favorite scenes from any movie ever. Have you seen the end of Avengers Endgame? This is that moment. 
This is the moment when Captain America and Big Thor have stood up to Thanos. Thor's been knocked out, right? He's out of the picture. He needs to go exercise. Captain America's beat up. He's bruised. He's bloodied. His shield is cracked, but he straps it back up to his arm to stand in front of Thanos, only to see Thanos' armies land. Evil is advancing getting closer and closer and Captain America is standing there all alone and then you hear it. You hear Falcon on your left. Screen pans over and you see the Doctor Strange swirly yellow hole open up and transport Black Panther. Shuri, Okoye, you see Spider-Man come through. You see Captain Marvel come. You see hero after hero after hero step up get their hands dirty and join the fight. That's this moment. That is this moment when God's people stand up, when God's people rise up together as a whole to get their hands dirty, to do the dirty work. That's this moment when you see everyone included. Look at who's, this list is mind boggling to me, right? We see priests, governors, goldsmiths, Perfumers, perfumers had to be helpful in wall building, right? <laughs> Give me a break. Rulers, temple servants, we see merchants, everyone rising up together to get the wall built. Now think, I talked to my dad about this, right? Because I told you, I'm not the construction guy, he is. He's like, and he's been to Jerusalem. Parts of this wall are standing today. Think about that. Parts of Nehemiah's wall are standing today. This is what my dad described. He said, don't think a brick wall like, you know, you can carry, you know, whatever, eight or 10 bricks at a time. These are massive stones that have to be cut with precision, with hand tools, without calculators. Not once does it say there was a stone cutter there. Doesn't say there was a mason, a wall builder. There's priests. You guys know your pastors. We're not very handy, right? Ryan is, but for the rest of us, like, you guys are in trouble if we got to build a wall. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) But all of God's people show up. All of God's people step up and get their hands dirty. All of God's people rise up together to get the work done. People who are similar, people who are different. We see all kinds of people engage in the work because it takes all of God's people. It takes us all together. We don't have another option, right? The New Testament gives us beautiful images for for how God's people or the church are referred to, but it doesn't give us an option to do it alone. Think about some of these images, right? The body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. If you're a hand, you don't get to decide that it's time to amputate the foot. You don't get to do that. We are together, unified in Christ. We are called brothers and sisters in Christ. Unfortunately, at times, parents may choose to get divorced. Brothers and sisters don't get to choose that. Your family with your siblings, whether you like them or not. We're called the bride of Christ. Think of that image. Now, look, I love my wife deeply. I know that my wife is not perfect. There are people in her life that I thank Jesus for because they love her. They see the brokenness. 
the sin within her. And through love and grace, they speak to her with kindness to address those things. That causes my heart to rejoice. I am thankful that she has friendships like that. Now, there's another way that somebody can speak about the brokenness within my wife that will not cause my heart to rejoice. It will cause me to invite you to a very stern conversation in the parking lot. Don't let the pastor fool you. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) But you guys see what I'm getting at here. We all know that there is brokenness within the body of Christ. We know that. We are still his bride. There's a way you speak about someone's bride that is respectful, even when you're addressing the brokenness. Then there's a way that's gonna get you in trouble. So church, as we see the brokenness within one another, within the church nationally and globally, yes, we are invited for the sake of the name of Christ to critique when necessary. We have to keep our tone in mind. We have to keep our posture in mind. As much as I love my wife, guarantee Jesus loves his bride a lot more. To get this work done, We need the spirit to keep us all together. That's when God's people rise up. And we see it. We see it as a church here. I mean, just look. Can't, Suzanne Gonzalez is incredible. She's our children's director. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. My kids know a whole lot more about Jesus because of her and because of all of you volunteers that work with Redemption Kids. And I'm thankful for each and every one of you. Kids camp could not happen with Suzanne alone. Kids Camp could not happen with paid staff alone. Kids Camp takes the creativity, look at our stage, (laughs) takes the ingenuity. I mean, look, they got people designing things, painting things, they're building contraptions out of wood. I don't even know what it's called. It takes volunteers who are willing to take a week off of work to love and disciple our children. It takes people who will cook meals, who will prepare the rooms, who will get all the supplies together, the creativity to come up with the designs. Jen Hansen, shout out, right? It takes so many people, all of God's people on board just to pull off a camp for one week in one place. Now we get to be a part of God's people, not only globally, but historically. Think of what the church has done when God's people rise up and work together, all represented, all giftings represented, everyone firing on all cylinders, working in the same direction. We see God do things. It's beautiful. So I wonder how is God inviting you to get your hands dirty? Yeah, we all have giftings. We all have things we love to do, right? The goldsmiths love to make things out of gold. They had to pick up a sledgehammer. What's God inviting you to pick up? The preachers love to preach. We gotta do other things too. What else is God inviting you to do? Yes, use your giftings, absolutely. Sometimes there's just work to be done and it's all hands on deck. I wonder what the spirit is stirring up, even now. I wonder what images come to mind. One of what opportunities he's bringing to mind as you're thinking about ways you've been looking up, what is the opportunity in front of you? As you've been grieved and feel passionately about certain issues, what is the, the local expression of that? As you think about all the ways God has gifted you, your incredible abilities, your talents, your resources, your expertise, what are the other things, the other ways he could be inviting you to serve? So here's the reality, folks. There's a lot of work to be done. We look at the headlines. We know the world is not the way it ought to be. We know God calls us to embody a better way. 
for the sake of the world. But when we're honest, as much as I look at the headlines, I look at the national, I know that brokenness resides in me as well. And as hard as I try, I'm not really good at building things, but my dad is. We serve a father who cares more about this work than you do. We serve a father who's a better builder than my dad. We serve a father who is more interested in the reconciliation of you and him, of you and those around you and all of us together than any of us are. Here's the reality I've already told you. My dad's son is not really good at building things, but the son of my father, let me tell you what he can do with some wood and some nails. You see, Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. He laid down his life so that we could have life. He gave up of himself and shared his spirit with us so we could be empowered to do this work. Jesus is in the process of reconciling all things, all of the brokenness as far as sin is found. He is rebuilding the wall. He is rebuilding what sin has destroyed. And one day, there's gonna be a new Jerusalem. One day he is going to reunite heaven and earth. Some of Nehemiah's wall still stands. Guarantee that wall will never crumble. Some people were saved behind the protective nature of this wall. When Jesus comes back, it will be every tongue, every tribe, every nation in his city. We get to just offer a, a, a foretaste of what's coming with the work that we do, with the camps that we put on, with the small groups that you participate, with the ways that we're loving and serving our city. But then one day, Jesus will bring the completion. And there will be no sadness. There will be no sin, no pain, no sorrow. The ways that Jesus' storybook Bible tells it, every sad thing will come untrue. That's the work we're starting to embody now. That's the glimpse that we get to give the watching world who feels the weight of the brokenness. There is a better day. There is a better day coming. And the way you get there is through Jesus. That brings us to the table. You guys have your communion elements uh, on the seat or on the floor underneath you. We get to come to the family table. This always has been a family meal since Jesus instituted this practice the night before his crucifixion. We get to join with the work that God's people have been doing since that day and even before. We get to remember that we are called as one to participate. We get to remember the one who did look up to his God and also looked up to the cross, what was set before him, the opportunity before him the one who left the comforts of heaven, not just to inspect our brokenness, but to take our brokenness within himself. We get to remember the one who empowers us to rise up, who unites us not only with himself, but with his people throughout time, throughout geography, throughout the ages, God's people who have been faithful stewards of his story, who have told someone about the goodness of their God who told someone else, who told someone else, and now here we are in Tempe, Arizona.
That's the family we're invited into. It's not a perfect family. You guys know that. But it's, like Josh said, a community of grace. And so let's take communion to remember that, that grace that was given us. We take, we take the bread, the cracker, represents his body, which was given for us. Church, I invite you to eat now. Take this wine, this juice represents his blood that was shed on our behalf. I invite you to drink. You pray with me. Father, you are good. Father, you are in control. And that's why we can trust you. Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us even now. We thank you for the ways that you have been speaking to us. Those are not coincidences. We thank you for those images that you brought to mind those opportunities, those areas of passion that you're inviting us to press into. Jesus, we thank you for those those thoughts that came to mind of ways that you could be inviting us to rise up together and to get our hands dirty. We thank you that you care about this work much more than we do. You cared so much, you laid your life down for it. You just invite us. We, We get the opportunity to participate with you. We thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for loving us, for forgiving us, for calling us your own. Jesus, give us the courage, give us the creativity to display your great love to others, those you bring us in contact with, for your name's sake, for your glory, so that they would come to know you, Jesus, our Savior. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.